Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. I'm going to ask for help from the start. I'm going to be so completely vulnerable and just put it all out there and not be afraid. And it was a game changer for me. I think it was like a 180 for forever for the way that I do business. My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hey, this is Adam Marks. I'm a tech founder, writer, and consultant, and I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about three and a half years now. Esprit does a phenomenal job spotlighting female entrepreneurs from all over the world, and one thing I love about the show is listening to their stories and how they've built their companies and organizations. We should always be pushing for representation and equality, so support the Women in Tech podcast. Follow me at AdamMarks13 on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And remember to always look for the orange sunglasses. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. If you too want to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech, remember you can go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at WomenInTechVIP.com. That's WomenInTechVIP.com. So there's this new productivity tool that is all the rage called Notion. I think it's Notion.so. It is amazing. It was weird. I've been looking at it for a while. I just didn't get it. I didn't get it. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, it just clicked. And it's wow. It's absolutely wow. I'm able to put Kanban boards in there or like data sheets. Um, I can put notes. I can do writing. I mean, it is just the most, I could link to other pages within it. It's just absolutely amazing for task organization. So I ended up taking all my tasks from everywhere. I had them in Workflowy and I have them in Evernote and I have them in an iPhone notepad and all these things. And I aggregated them all and put them all into Notion so that I could be really actionable about my tasks and not just have random notes everywhere. It's been so great. So definitely check out Notion.so. There's tons of videos on YouTube. They do um, these webinars regularly on um, Crowdcast where you could watch how to use Notion. I think they call it Notion office hours. There's also like something called like simple Notion something. something. I don't know. If you Google it, you'll find it. But it's been great for me. Check out the tool. Maybe it will help you too. All right. Enjoy the next episode. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest coming at us from Houston, Texas. We have Carolyn. Hello. Hello. How are you? So excited for you to be on the show. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. 
Hi, everyone. I'm Carolyn Rods. I'm the founder and CEO of Hello Alice. Hello Alice is a free digital community for small business owners to find every resource to start and grow their companies. And it's all personalized based on who you are and the type of company that you're trying to grow. And what are some of the transformations you've seen in your community? Everything from getting on to a podcast or a, a speaking panel and getting some exposure for their businesses, getting in press. We've seen people go raise capital. We've had partnerships be made. It was really cool. Just, I always love hearing stories of you know, somebody who met on the community or met through a sprint that we were running, connected two dots, and all of a sudden like they're, they've built some business together. So there's always these really kind of organic matches that happen, but there's a ton that happens through the technology itself of just pushing a grant opportunity to people, pushing a pitch opportunity or an investment opportunity or a contract that's out there and companies being able to take advantage of that, apply it to their business because they learned about it and actually seeing a real financial difference or, or impact to their company. What aspect of Hello Alice are you most proud of? What element within your company just really lights you up? For me, it's the tangible benefit. I think there's so much abstracted advice out there and it's great and it's wonderful and it's helpful and helps us kind of think and process things. But what I felt was really lacking and part of the reason we started Hello Alice was what are the tactical steps that I need to take to grow my business? Like, that's great. You tell me I need to go hire an employee, but I don't have funding and I don't have any money to pay for that employee. So what do I need to do? And that's where these, these guides come into play in a really a personalized experience where it says, look, like, what is your budget? What do you have? If you don't have a budget, here are three ways you can go build a team with no money to help get you to the level where you can go out and fundraise and get that team in place. It's very actionable advice always and takes into account a lot of different circumstances. And so that's the thing for me that I feel like just fills this huge gap where it seems like most business owners really struggle. How much does it cost to be a part of the community? Is there a, a fee or an application process? Inclusion was really important to us when we started this, particularly when you think about the fact that women entrepreneurs are typically starting with a third of the capital of their male counterparts. When you think about the idea that they're usually raising less capital, it was really important to us that we made sure that every business owner, regardless of who they are, where they came from, had access to the same level of resources. And so Hello Alice is free. It will forever be free. And we really built a model that would grow and be sustainable, but not depend on the capital access of entrepreneurs. And if it's free, how do you get paid? <laughs> we always get this question. Uh, we make money through our corporate and government partners. There are a lot of people that stand to make a lot of money when business owners succeed through selling products and services, through you know the tax revenue that comes through growing businesses. And so we work with them to connect their programs and resources to small business owners. So a lot of the sprints and things that you see on our program, on our technology, a lot of the resources that pop up are actually corporations paying us to say, we want to go promote this to small business owners. I love that. The new majority. That's so rad. When did you guys create this? Who created it? Why did you spark this off? So my co-founder, Elizabeth, and I, we were at a conference sitting in a tent on a mountain and had a conversation about the fact that 2% of women were receiving venture capital. There were a lot of people in this conversation and everyone was talking about how terrible it was and the numbers haven't changed in so long. And Elizabeth and I both came from this place of, you know, 2% means that there's 98% opportunity 
to really grow and support women in business and imagine what that would do for the world. And so that was sort of what sparked, I think, our connection and all of this. And over time, we continued to work more and more together and eventually decided we needed to, to go into business and that there was a huge opportunity here and, and let's go tackle it. What were the first steps in doing that? You come up with this idea and then what were the first action steps that you took? We started slow. I had had the idea for a while about Hello Alice in a very different iteration. And when Elizabeth told me she was interested in supporting, it started off that she really was an advisor for me. So I gave her a very tiny piece of equity of the company and she just opened doors. She helped introduce me to people. She was like, you should talk to this person or come set up a meeting for you here. And I just realized the value of that and how much she brought to the table that I didn't have. And at the same time, I think she was looking at it from the different perspective of, you know, there's a lot that I could bring to the table that she didn't have. And it was such an organic kind of match that little by little, I just kept increasing the amount of equity she had. And then finally, we were in a coffee shop in New York City. And we were like, you know what, let's just go in this full on 50-50 and make this happen. Once we made that decision, it was sort of off to the races because I think Elizabeth was so invested at the same level that I was. And, and it just kind of made everything so much smoother, to be honest. Did you build a website? Like, what did it look like? How did it physically manifest itself? So we launched a virtual accelerator. It was called Circular Board when we first started. It had a totally different name, but same same kind of version of the company. We supported 60 female entrepreneurs from around the world in our very first cohort and said, we're going to learn everything that they need to grow their companies. And we connected, our job was to connect them with the best mentors we could find. We worked with all of our networks that we collectively brought to the table and said, let's just open doors as much as we can for these business owners and really support them. And I had already at that point built two companies prior. So knew sort of the journey of building and growing a company. We put together weekly workbooks, like PDFs. They were pretty basic. We had weekly calls and we had weekly mentor sessions. We got such amazing feedback and it was the first 100% virtual accelerator. And as we started getting all this feedback, we we're like, all right, let's grow it. And so the next cohort, we did 200 people and the next cohort, we grew even more. And then finally, we're like, all right, we actually have thousands of people on this waiting list. We could ultimately serve millions of entrepreneurs. How do we actually build a technology that will scale all of this? Over that point, we had gathered so much knowledge about what the needs were and the pain points that it really made our job so much more streamlined in terms of knowing what to tackle and in what priority to tackle them. Was it a paid accelerator? It was paid, but we lost money on it. I mean, to be honest, we didn't make yeah. any money. How much did you charge and how did you decide to pick that amount? We charged $300 and it was an eight-week program. Very inexpensive. And we picked that amount because we wanted it to be accessible to as many people as possible. We also offered scholarships for people that couldn't even afford the $300. I didn't take an income. Elizabeth had another job at the time. So I was working full-time. She was working part-time. Every time she would travel for her job, I would spend the night in the hotel room with her because I couldn't afford my own hotel room. And so we really bootstrapped our way through that beginning part in every way possible. We pitched a big event that I put on my credit card and we were like, this is going to be our big launch party where we invited media. We had these amazing speakers come and I put everything on my credit card and just hoped I would get enough sponsors to pay for it. We did. And we actually made a little bit of money on that event. And then that funded the next iteration of our company. So you mean the next iteration of your company, not the next iteration of the cohort. So that not including the 200 people cohort, you're talking about after that, right? Correct. So the cohorts we just kind of ran, it was really, a, for me, a lot of it was sort of a, a social give back. And so making money on the accelerator wasn't really the goal. 
the goal was how do we start to build something bigger? And what we found through the process was that if these companies could succeed, if we could actually help these businesses succeed, and we did, they raised capital, they hired employees, buying products and services to support their businesses. If they're succeeding, governments are making more tax money from them. Corporations are selling their products and services to them. Vendors are making money because they're hiring accountants and marketing consultants. And if all these people can make money, there's a piece of the pie in here for us. Like we know we can carve out our value, but we also know entrepreneurs are broke. They don't have any money. They're building their businesses. They don't need to pay, but look at everybody else making money and they can't afford to pay. And so how do we build a model that works? Because that ensures that we're building an equitable program that's accessible to everybody, but we're also building a business. In the beginning, were you bankrolling it yourself or did you have a little funding? Did you need to break even? What was that when you first chose that $300 price point? So I had a little bit of money from my prior company. Also was fortunate enough that I am married. I have a husband with income. And so we collectively made the decision that we were just going to try this out, see how it went. I will say after about two years of me not making a salary, he was like, Love you. I love you talk about what you do, but is this a business or not? And to be honest, I mean, we had a lot of tense conversations around it because I was like, I know there's something here. I know this is going to grow. I know it's going to become a business. Just give me time. He could not have been more supportive. And over time, it got just exhausting for him. He was like, we're paying yeah. for childcare. We're doing all these things. Like, what gives? But ever since when I started taking a salary, it was like all of a sudden he was like, okay, this is a business and you've got something going here. And now he's like, go get them. Like, this is awesome. It's grown so much. So You actually said something so important. You said, is this a business or not? Is making it a real business just when the business makes money? Is it possible that the business exists and you just haven't figured out the financial model yet? And I think that I've kind of always seen it the way your husband saw it and how you saw it, which is like, okay, until it makes money, he's like, is this a business or is this a hobby? But maybe it's a business and you just haven't identified the product market fit yet. It's a huge piece of it. The difference is, because I will say I've run a company that's failed. I just didn't make money. And it was a business, but it wasn't enough to sustain me. And I ended up closing that business down. And the difference with this one and why I think I stuck it out for so long without a salary, there was so much traction with Hello Alice from the start. We had corporations calling us, companies like Dell and MasterCard and Salesforce, all these businesses saying, we need what you're providing. This is really valuable to us. The media was jumping all over it. The business owners were saying, we absolutely need this. And so we knew we're like, there is something here. We just have to keep kind of chipping away at this until we can figure out what it is. As we were out raising capital, because we did raise funds after the first about year and a half, we went out and did our first fundraise. It was really difficult, to be honest. It was very, very hard, even though we had incredible relationships with the venture capital community because of what we did. We've been meeting our business owners. They saw what we were doing. They saw how we grew. They really struggled with what is the business model here. And we said, look, we know we can attract business owners. We know there's a fit. There's 20 directions we can go with this. We just have to narrow in on what it is. And how much did you end up raising? We raised just over a million dollars our first round, mostly from angel investors and a couple of very non-traditional funds. It was mostly impact investors that backed us with that first round. What was the main yes in all those meetings? Because I'm sure you were doing a lot of discovery at that time yourself. And then after meeting with all the investors and after being successful raising, there must have been a common variable that everybody made them write the check. 
Fundraising is this really interesting experience in that it's mostly no's. Everybody who said yes really was banking on us more than the business. I don't think we even fully knew what the business was. The investors were banking on us. And they said, we know you. We know you two are not going to let go of this thing until it works. And we believe in you. So it really was the relationships that we had built. And I think that's why it's so difficult for women and for people of color and for these communities that aren't represented in the traditional venture community. It's just not our network. We were really fortunate in that this was part of our network, but it was still so difficult. So I can't imagine people coming out of the blue and saying, look, I've got this great idea. Believe in me. You know, I think the way to get around it is to start building those relationships before you need them. The second you have an idea, start talking to people about it, start sharing, because if they can see that traction along the way that, look, you had this idea six months ago, now you've got 10 customers. Six months later, you've got 50 customers. Like you start to see the traction and actually, you know, build that credibility. But what was that element for Hello Alice that really landed with everybody well? The idea that we were actually able to support small business owners at scale, you know, community programs and organizations and chambers of commerce and all these organizations that were doing things at a micro level, that's so important and so needed. And we fully support those organizations and partner with them all the time. But there wasn't anything to really bring all of that together and to start to make connections in an automated and scalable way. And in order to support the 30 million small businesses in the U.S., we have to come up with a scalable solution. And nobody had seen that. When did you first become interested in technology and in business? If you had told me I would be running a tech company when I started my career, I would have laughed. I was a finance major in college. My father had run a small business and I had absolutely no desire to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to go have the corner suite in the big corporation and climb my way up the corporate ladder. I did that for four years. I worked at JP Morgan and their investment bank. I think we mutually agreed. I probably wasn't a good fit for that environment <laughs> and still great friends with everybody I worked with, but it just wasn't for me. And again, I wasn't for them. So after four years, I started looking for kind of more creative jobs. I just wanted something with a little bit more creative energy. My alternatives were getting a huge pay cut. And so I said, you know, if I'm going to take this risk and I'm going to take a pay cut, I think I can do this on my own and at least have the upside. And so it really was, I have some savings. I can spend it traveling the world and having fun for a couple of years, or I can really invest in myself, or I can go get my MBA, or I can, these are kind of my options. And so I just put it into my business. I always call it my unofficial MBA because I spent as much as I would have spent on an Ivy League education, totally. but I also learned as much. Tell me Total about failure. it. failure. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's really the journey, right? I mean, I look at that failure. And at the time, I will say it was the absolute lowest point in my life. It was so personally difficult to close my business down, to have to admit to myself and to all of my friends and my family that I had failed. I was dirt poor. I literally didn't know how I was going to make pay for my townhouse the next day when my mortgage was due. I don't know. I was down to like, I just had nothing in my bank account and it was demoralizing. But I look back and I'm like that, you know, I, you pick up the pieces, you figure it out, you, you move on and, and you start to fix the things little by little and get yourself back to a point where, where you get to try it all again. Thank you for sharing your vulnerability with us. I had a couple aha moments when you were talking, when you were sharing your story. One, it's so clear to me why Hello Alice exists. If you felt that extraordinary pain in the loss of your other business, it seems like in that moment, without even maybe even subconsciously, you became a mission-driven person to make sure you empower yourself and everyone else for this 
to happen as little as possible. <laughs> you nailed it. Yes, that's exactly why I started Hello Alice. It was still the most emotionally painful thing I've been through because it was my kind of rock bottom in terms of my pride and my ego and just my self-confidence. Financially a scary feeling, but it's emotionally a really tough feeling. Every time I talk to business owners that are going through that, if you've run a business, you've probably been in that situation at some point to some degree I emotionally feel the pain with them. Like I kind of go back to where I was at that time and I get it in a way that I think a lot of people who haven't been through this this journey, it's, it's just hard to understand. It's a really personal mission for me to help others and to prevent that experience as much as I can. But also I think when you're going through it, just to know that it's not you. I mean, it's a tough journey. It's a risky journey. There's a lot within your control, but there's also a ton that's beyond your control that when you start to look at it as all a big piece, it's not did this company succeed or fail? It's part of your path and part of your journey. And if it did fail, what did you learn? What do you take from that? And how do you go to the next project? I have so much empathy for your journey. How were you able to overcome the pain in order to start again? Stick around. We'll be right back after the break. We would not be able to support and celebrate women in tech around the world if it weren't for you. Thank you so much for being a listener and a fan of the show. To contribute and donate, simply go to womenintech.fm on the upper right-hand side and click Donate, which empowers us to continue celebrating women in tech around the world. Thank you for being a part of our journey. How were you able to overcome the pain in order to start again? Well, I'm stubborn. And so I wasn't going to let that be my end as an entrepreneur. Every time I would go, I would go to the dry cleaner. I would go to like pick up food or I would go to anything. And it's all small businesses. And I would look around. I'm like, why are all these people making their businesses work? And I couldn't. Why couldn't I do it? So I just went into study mode. I learned everything I could about every successful entrepreneur I really dove deep. I looked at what are they doing? How do they, I talk to people. I just learned everything. It opened my eyes and I was like, I just didn't ask for help. I didn't bring in the resources that I needed. I didn't take advantage of the opportunities that I had because I felt like I had to do all this by myself. Every network connection and open door that I had available to me, I kept saving for like me to hit a certain milestone. I was like, well, I'm going to go reach out to the press when I get this thing done. Or I'm going to go call this friend of mine who's a buyer at the store when I'm a little more established. And everything I kind of put off and sort of waited until everything was so perfect, because I am a perfectionist at heart, which I think is one of the worst things for an entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) And in hindsight, I kind of kicked myself because I was like, ran out of money and I ran out of time because I was trying to make everything too perfect. So my next company, I'm going to ask for help from the start. I'm going to be so completely vulnerable and just put it all out there and not be afraid. And it was a game changer for me. I think it was like a 180 for forever for the way that I do business. I love to ask all the women who show up on the show, what's a huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? I would say it was the failed company. It was the biggest thing for me. I think I just had so much doubt for myself at that time. I always sort of weigh out of my head when I'm doing anything that's slightly risky. What's the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario was that my second company would fail. I've already been through it once and I think it's going to be a little bit less painful probably the second time. And if it fails twice, I'm going to throw the towel in and go back to the corporate world. And like, I know I can get a job. 
but I'm going to try to give this one more shot. So I went into sort of study mode. I laid out worst case scenario and I just put it out there and I was like, I, I'm not afraid to fail. I really like lost a fear of failure that I think was so debilitating to me. I've always been the straight A student and the one that did everything I was supposed to do and sort of followed this path. The structure, I think, in terms of what I was supposed to build is always like so much around me that when you get to entrepreneurship, there's no structure, there's no path, there's no right or wrong. You just have to go for it and you have to go big. When you lose the fear of failure, it, it's, it just opens up a world of opportunity. What does the word success mean to you? How do you define success? It's freedom. And I think it's financial freedom so that you can make decisions that are right for you. It's knowing that kids have what they need to get the best education they can have. It's knowing that we have the best health care should we ever need it. That is really important to me. So I think there's a level of security and then there's a level of freedom of I get to work on the things that I deem important to build my company, the idea that I get to work with the people that I want to work with, the idea that I get to work with the customers that I want to work with. I think that's that to me is just so liberating. And I think what I found really stifling about about working for somebody else, because it's important to me. And so I think when I think of success, it's just being able to make the decisions that are not just best for me, but that I think are best for the world and for the people around me and for my family and all of the people that I touch. Totally. It's been interesting for me throughout my career what success used to mean to me versus like how it evolved. And so I wanted to be Kevin Rose and on the cover of Fast Company. And it meant a lot of, I think, vanity metrics, I suppose. And now success to me, like the core ethos of the word success means taking steps forward, taking actionable, really actionable steps forward, which I guess this is what this show stands for too, empowering everyone to know what steps to take forward. And the next level is understanding the difference between planning and executing. Planning is still in a dream state and sometimes things need a plan, but if we don't execute on the actual plan, it's still not getting done. And so sometimes we trick ourselves thinking that, thinking about it or planning it out is moving it forward, but it's actually not. <laughs> You're so right. I mean, I think the idea of, and this is why I love it, entrepreneurship, is that it, it, you have to take action, right? You don't get to sit there and just push papers around and kind of do your thing and sit in the background. Everybody on your team, not just you as the founder, but your whole team, like it's so apparent when somebody's not taking action so quickly that it's so much is happening all the time and there's all of this momentum or the company doesn't work. Like it's one or the other. There's no in between. I love that about it because it's this energy and sort of fuel for what you're doing. But the impact, it's exciting. I think the journey is so fun because I think about the people that I've gotten to meet. I'm sure for you, especially in what you do, like you just get to come across so many interesting people. I love that piece of it because I feel like I'm always learning. I'm always exploring. We always get to test something new and try something new and Sometimes my dream is just, I want like a day to be bored because I don't think I've had that. <laughs> I know what you mean. My new thing that some of my mentors keep teaching me, they're like, Esprit, you go fast by going slow. I'm like, oh, I have to train myself. And I like, it's funny because I'm really like honing in on going slower these days in order to go faster. And it's not my habit. It's not my default. It's something I have to train myself for the first time to do. And so I'll notice when I stop, when I see these behaviors of me going fast, but I'm not noticing because I'm blinded and I'm just like going, going, going. And then I stop for that second and I look around me. I'm like, 
I can't serve others if I can't serve myself. And if my dishes are piled high and my room's a mess and there's clutter everywhere and I barely know what my name is and I'm going to sleep at four in the morning and then waking up at seven in the morning, I am not going slow to go fast. You know, I'm stuck in it. And how can I possibly take care of others and build a team and be the best leader I can be if I am not utilizing self-care as the foundation of my business? business. And that's an extremely different viewpoint than my entire career. (laughs) We just had a conversation today with everybody. We're like, go take the long weekend, turn your computers off. Don't like talk to anybody, like just fuel yourselves. Cause I think it's exciting. And I think everybody's passionate about what they're doing and you want to give so much, but at some point, like you do have to take a step back and just feed yourself a little bit. 100%. And okay, so I would love to get into, Hello Alice built incredible programs, especially during this pandemic when the world is very unusual, to support uh, our entrepreneurial community. Can you share with us a little bit about the programs you've built and, and how we could be a part of Hello Alice? You know, we've heard over and over before COVID-19 struck that the number one need for the small business owners in our community was access to capital. And so we were preparing already to be like, all right, how can we make these connections faster and more direct and had started a plan that we were planning on rolling out kind of later in the year, the pandemic struck and we accelerated everything and started releasing emergency grants between $10,000 and $50,000 for small business owners shortly after everybody was, was having to shelter in place. And we've been rolling those out weekly. And it's been just an incredible acknowledgement of like what our community can do if we work together. We've had corporations like Verizon and Silicon Valley Bank and Salesforce and MasterCard step up behind this initiative, which is so awesome, and put funding behind these business owners. We've been able to release them quickly to the business owners and seeing them just impact that even $10,000 can have on helping a business get through this time is so overwhelmingly emotional. It means a lot, I think. And so it's just motivated us to go do more and do more faster and reach out to more government organizations and corporations and say, how can we get more dollars out faster? So funding has been a huge focus for us and and something that we're going to continue long beyond the pandemic, but also knowing that funding is a piece of the puzzle. There is so many other resources like mentorship and and education and community that have to come along with that to help you spend the money right and spend it smart. And so we're working on a lot of those pieces as well that come as part of that package. So we've had mentors like Gwyneth Paltrow and Kristen Bell and Pitbull and these incredible celebrity entrepreneurs, but also just entrepreneurs from across the spectrum and mentors in every aspect of your business. So whatever the need is, we do have mentors that will cover it. Go to helloalice.com. You can sign up for free for the community. To apply for the grants, we have a a covid19businesscenter.com has all of the resources for anything that you're dealing with specifically now around reopening your business and getting back to our new normal. What is the best piece of advice that you've gotten? I mean, we've gotten so much, but is there something that really stands out for you? The best piece of advice for me is to ask for help early. Ask for help early and then circle back and follow up on the advice that you were given. So whether you used it or whether you didn't use it, I think it's really important to close the loop. Every time we have a need we look for who are the best experts that we could bring to the table. We were just dealing with such a huge inflow into our product that our site speed had slowed down. So we're like, you know what? We've got a relationship with AWS. Let's call them up and see if they have an expert that can help us out. We called them up. They helped us out. They were an incredible help. But then we close the loop and say, look, thank you so much. Here's the impact it made to where we were able to support 
this many business owners, thanks to the work that you did for us, we really appreciate it. It's everything from our banker helped us work through some things and just a thank you goes a long way. And I think so many times that thank you gets missed, whether you whether you implement the advice or whether you don't or you can't for whatever reason, it's always important to to close the loop. A selfish question that I like to ask my guests because I have a personal obsession with tools and software and websites. What is your favorite tech tool? It could be hardware, software, mobile app, website. I have two. Miro is one of mine. Oh, yeah. um, they are such an awesome tool for us. We use them for all of our design sprints, any brainstorm we have. Like that's our kind of just team virtual whiteboard. Can you explain what it is a little more detail? There's all kinds of different templates they have, but it's essentially sort of a virtual whiteboard substitute, but you can put sticky notes on it and they're kind of working boards. Everyone collaborate and comment and move things around. And we use it mostly for design sprints or just team brainstorms. And then the other tool that I love is Notion which is also yes. raised money too. So, Oh, did they? Yeah. Notion is like the new, new in the tech where it's like, everybody's like, Notion, Notion, Notion. They've like, Asana, get out of here. Notion's here. <laughs> yes, I love Notion. And we use that across our whole team. It really started with our engineering team and then we've kind of migrated across everybody. It just helped all of our lists and collaborations and kind of, yeah, just project management tool uh, that I love because you can look at with a calendar view or a list view. There's just so many different ways to... One of my friends suggested she gave me a tour of her Notion. I've tried Notion. I particularly think one of the superpowers of Notion is their import feature. I was able to take a whole notebook from Evernote and import it with so much ease. It was crazy. They do that with a lot of tools. One of the features that I'm curious about that my friend talked about, she's avid Notion user like you are. She said it, it kind of feels like a super boosted Google Docs. And then when she showed me a tour of hers, it looked that way. And I'm like, well, I don't really need that specifically. Like it's like if you're writing long posts or if you're creating a book or, you know, and for project management, but very long narrative kind of thing. The way you described it sounds different. So for you, what would the super power be of Notion? I use it more like a Trello a little bit in terms of priorities and things that I have going on. So just breaking down projects into tasks and then I kind of assign the tasks. I keep notes like all my meeting follow-ups. So I'm always meeting across the team and I have different things. I need to remember to talk to this person about this and this person about that when I do my weekly check-ins. And so I just keep a running list of the priority items I have with them so I can kind of check things off. For me, it really is a prioritization tool and I, I use it like a sort of a bulletin board list. And why do you think it's different than Trello or these other tools? What for you makes it like the tool to solve your problem? So within each card, I think Trello is a little bit more limited. I haven't used Trello in a, a couple of years, so it might be different now, but there's so much more functionality within each card. And so you can link things, you can drop an image. I mean, there's totally, it's yeah. a lot more robust, I think, in terms of what you can put within each thing. And then also the linking across to everybody. And totally. Probably the way I use it is probably not that you probably could do what you need on Trello. To be honest, I just... Yeah, you just love it. Yeah, no, I yeah. absolutely love tools. And I like to ask also just a last question. What is your favorite book? My favorite book is The Messy Middle, uh, which I just read recently. It is such an awesome explanation of entrepreneurship, of the realities of entrepreneurship. It really focuses on everything from that point of initial traction after you've launched the company and gone through those launch stages, all the way through sort of the growth and maturity pieces of the business. And you find like a lot of what you read is about the launch in the beginning and then the end and the success stories. And there's so little about everything in between. And this just dives into 
all of the things that you have to deal with in terms of just decisions with your team and how to really you know, manage through some of those things, what to do when you've gotten some capital and like what you should actually be thinking through and all of the like twists and turns and craziness that happens in the messy middle. I don't just capture the essence of everything that I've spent most of my career in. So, Is there anything that you wanted to share that you didn't share yet? The journey should be fun. Most of what you're going to spend thinking through entrepreneurship and building a tech company or any type of company is you're going to spend your time building. And so I think so many times we always think about like when this happens, when this happens, when this happens and forget to really enjoy that this is a fun journey. We're getting to build a team that we love. We're getting to work with customers that we love. We're getting to make a difference and have an impact and really stopping to celebrate all of those moments along the way. It's been a learning lesson for me in my career. And I have a business partner that is so good at forcing us to stop and celebrate. And I'm so grateful for that. But I, I think it's something that every business owner needs to do more of because it's a grind, but it should be fun. Finding a network of people that are excited about the business you're building, that have a lot to contribute to those conversations. And I think what's hard is that oftentimes that is not your partner or family or your close friends necessarily, because they don't want to hear the, the details of your business. Finding a group of other entrepreneurs that share the passion and the journey and the ups and the downs, I think is so important for just your mental strength along the way, because it is a marathon and you have to have that network around you. Where can people connect with you online? Are you on LinkedIn? I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram at Carolyn Rods or at Twitter at Carolyn Rods. And then I also always take emails. So anybody can email me at Carolyn at HelloAlice.com. And can you spell your name for everybody? C-A-R-O-L-Y-N. And then Rods is R-O-D-Z. Carolyn, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. If you want to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. Womenintechvip.com will take you straight there. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. This is Carolyn Rods, founder and CEO of Hello Alice the largest small business community at helloalice.com based in Houston, Texas. And you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.